And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Let me, let me ask you if, if you've done Michelle, do you remember the first time you put Thorne in front of a mirror? Yeah, most parents have had that joy of putting uh, their young child in front of a mirror. And at first, uh, the young one doesn't realize that he's looking at a reflection of himself, does he? Uh, he thinks it's another child. I love this one. I was looking for pictures and I said, okay, that's it right there. And, you know, but eventually he notices that when he moves this hand, that hand moves. And it begins to dawn on him slowly, that's me. Well, the Bible is like that mirror. At first, we look into it and we think we're reading these stories about others. And it's interesting to see how they're portrayed. You know, we may chuckle at their antics. Some we may shake their head at their just pure stupidity. But the longer we look, the more we begin to notice that those characters in the Bible look like us. Gradually, we begin to realize with some embarrassment, that is me. Well, the parable of the prodigal son is like that mirror. At first, it just seems like an interesting and touching story. Uh, but the more you look, the more you see your own heart in either the prodigal or his older brother, or perhaps a little bit in both. But the Bible only, uh, not only reveals what we are like, it also reveals what God is like. And that is very important because we cannot know what God is like apart from Him revealing Himself to us. We can speculate on what we think God might be like, but such speculations, they don't mean anything. I mean, after all, they're not based in any type of fact. It's just our opinions. However, Jesus Christ, He reveals to us what God the Father is truly like. Now, while it's not a comprehensive picture, we understand that, uh, the father of the prodigal son, it gives us just a, a really important aspect of God's character, namely, His abundant mercy towards those who repent of their sins. Now, inter to interpret the parable correctly, uh, we must see it in light of uh, Luke 15, uh, 1 and 2, the first two verses we looked at last week. The tax collectors and the sinners, they were gathering around Jesus and they were listening to Him and they were actually getting saved. And it actually caused the Pharisees and the scribes to grumble among themselves and they were saying, this man receives sinners and eateth, eats with them. I start to say eateth again. Well, Jesus told the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost son or the, par the prodigal son. Uh, to affirm that the charge was correct. And yes, he does hang out with sinners, but uh, it's also to show the proud, self-righteous Pharisees why it was proper for him to associate with sinners. That's why he came. Now, it's a mistake for us to infer from our story this morning that the sons are believers since they are sons of the Father. The household that we're looking at here is not the household of faith, it's the household of Israel. The prodigal represents the sinners who were responding to Jesus' message and coming to him. And the older brother, he represents the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling about Jesus receiving such sinners. But both groups needed repentance. Well, each of the three parables illustrates God's abundant mercy towards repentant sinners and His, his overwhelming joy when they are reconciled to Him. Now, each of the three main characters of our passage today, they reflect different lessons. 
The prodigal shows us the devastating effects of sin and the nature of true repentance. The father, he shows us God's great mercy towards repentant sinners. And then lastly, the older brother, he shows us the ugliness, the danger of the self-righteous pride that lurks within each human heart. Now, the entire parable teaches us that God welcomes repentant sinners uh, with abundant mercy, but the self-righteous exclude themselves from His mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful for just another opportunity to look into Your Word. Uh, We pray that You would speak truth to our hearts this morning, Father, that in the end we'd walk out of here uh, more conformed to the image of Your Son. Uh, Father, I pray if there is a prodigal in here today, that their eyes would be opened, that they would see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and be drawn to Him. And we ask that You do it for Your honor and Your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first we see the prodigal son, and Jesus shows us the, the devastating consequences of sin and the nature of true repentance. Now, there's two things here. So first, uh, he shows us the devastating consequences of sin. Uh, Jesus doesn't go into great detail about the tension that was there uh, in the home that, that led to this rupture, but it must have been there for a while. Now, the younger of this man's two sons, he asks his father for his share of the inheritance. Uh, there is debate as to the significance of this request in light of Jewish culture. Some say it's the equivalent of treating the father as if he was already dead. Certainly this was not common. This was very unusual for the father to do this. Uh, The boy was cutting off his relationship with his dad. He rejected his dad's ways and he basically was heading off to go and do his own thing. Now we don't know if the father first attempted to reason with the boy and dissuade him from going. Jesus just reports the final action. The father granted the son's request and and divided the inheritance. Well, a short time later, the boy gathers his things and he he left for a distant country. And there he squandered the entire estate on loose living. Well, then a famine hit and the young man began to be in serious need. The friends who helped him spend his money initially, yeah, uh, they were broke themselves. They were in need, so he couldn't turn to them. The only job he could find was feeding pigs for a farmer, but it didn't provide enough for him to really uh, sustain himself. He was hungry and he wanted to eat the pods that he was feeding the pigs. Now, think about that. Since for the Jews, pigs are unclean animals, this boy had sunk about as low as you could go. Now, the prodigal's rebellion and his downward spiral, it illustrates the terrible toil of sin in our human lives. Sin always alienates the sinner from fellowship with the loving and merciful Father. Now, we sin because we stupidly think it'll bring us lasting happiness and fulfillment. And for a short time, it does, right? The Bible tells us that sin for a season is is fun. But rebelling against God and plunging into that sin is kind of like buying things on credit when you don't have the money to pay it back. At first, it's fun. You can go to Europe. You can stay in the first-class hotels, eat the finest meals, and live like a king. But all of a sudden, the bills start coming due, and guess what? It's not quite so much fun anymore. Invariably, a famine hits in the far country. The worldly friends who thought you were the greatest thing alive when you had money, they start avoiding you when the famine sets in. You're left alone, down and out, 
and seemingly nowhere to go. But thankfully, there is a way to go. And namely, that's to repent or to turn back to God. So B, the second part of this is Jesus shows us the nature of true repentance. Now, it was real hard for me not to just dive into Psalm 51. If you want to have some fun this afternoon or this week, go ahead and read Psalm 51. It's David's account of his repentance towards God. It's a picture of David repenting. Do you remember when when, uh, Nathan came to David and told him the story? And David says, "Mm, he must die and blah, 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 blah. And, And Nathan eventually says, you are the man. You're the one I'm talking about. Do you know what David says? It's only two two words in the Hebrew, two Hebrew words, but it says, I have sinned against the Lord. Out of that came Psalm 51, a psalm of repentance. Just do yourself a favor, read that, study it, uh, meditate on it, memorize it. Okay, it's fantastic. Well, back to our story here, the, 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 the prodigal finally comes to his senses. He realizes that even his father's hired, father's hired hands have it better than he does. So he determines to go back to his father to confess his sin and acknowledge his own unworthiness to receive anything from his father. He wants to appeal to his mercy so that he would become like one of the hired men. Now he had left demanding his rights. Give me what's mine, remember? He returned in humility and brokenness. That's what happened when you come to God. (laughs) So he got up, he went to his father, Probably not too sure about how his dad would respond. Now the prodigal shows us several things about true repentance. Well, it always begins by seeing our our, our true condition for what it is. Jesus says he came to himself or he came to his senses. He realized what he had done. Now it took him a little while to reach that point. We don't know how long he was slopping pigs before he realized how low he had sunk. But finally, his eyes were open to the truth, and he saw his awful condition, and he thought, what in the world am I doing here? He thought about the fact that even the servants in his father's house were happier than he was, so he was determined to go to the father. And that's the next thing is about, about repentance. It's a turning from our sin to God himself. No one else can help. He says, I will get up and go to my father His friends had abandoned him. He had run out of his own resources. Now here's something to keep in mind. As long as you have anything in yourself that you think will meet your need, guess what? You'll avoid going directly to God. It's it's in our nature to try to fix it ourselves. You remember the the, the, uh, singing group, Four Girls, called uh, Point of Grace? This is what their title means. God gets you to a point where there's nothing left but the grace of God. We will try and exhaust all of our resources. Why not go to God first? Now, if the young man had thought, you know, I need to turn over a new leaf. I'll get a better job. I'll save some money. I dug myself into this pit. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. He would have never gone back to his father. If he'd clung to his own pride, he would have thought, you know, I'm, going, I'm not going to let him see me in this condition. I have too much dignity, dignity for that. Uh, I'll return to my father after I've cleaned up a little bit and gotten myself a new set of clothes. The truth is the gospel always brings us to the end of ourselves, the end of our resources, our schemes, for, or everything else that we can rely on until we must come 
to God directly Himself. And all we can do is plead for His mercy. We can't come and show Him how well we've done without Him because we haven't. We can't splash the cologne of good works over the stench of the pigsty and hope that He doesn't know and doesn't recognize, you know, detect how much we really stink. We can't send a friend. We can't send a gift to try to patch things up. We can only come directly to the Father in our wretched condition and say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So repentance must be directed personally toward the God that we have sinned against. You remember David in Psalm 51 says, Against you and you only have I sinned. Well, Bathsheba might argue against that and so might Uriah and others. But David says, No, I have sinned against you. True repentance includes an honest confession of our sins without any excuses. He says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He didn't say, I wouldn't have sinned if you hadn't been such a demanding and insensitive father. He didn't say, I wouldn't have gotten into trouble if you, if you wouldn't have given me all that money knowing that I wasn't mature enough to handle it properly. No, he simply said, I have sinned, which was the truth. True repentance always involves accepting responsibility for what you've done. Now, implicit in the prodigal's repentance is a measure of faith that the father would show him mercy. If he had thought that his, that his, his, his father would just beat him black and blue and then order him to never set foot on his property again, he probably wouldn't have gone back. But he had a hope, however slim, that his father would grant his request that he become like one of the hired men. Now, if you come to God with just an inkling of faith that he will receive you because of his great mercy, you will not be disappointed. Spurgeon tells of being in the garden when he saw a, a dog among uh, his flowers. And he knew the dog wasn't pulling weeds, which needed to be done, and it wasn't his dog, so he threw a stick at it and yelled at it, trying to just scare it off. Well, the dog very quickly made Spurgeon ashamed for treating it so harshly. It fetched the stick and wagging its tail, ran up to Spurgeon and dropped it at his feet and just looked at him and like, let's keep playing. And Spurgeon says, do you think I could strike him or drive him away after that? No, I patted him and called him good names. The dog had conquered the man. Then he applies it. And if you, poor sinner, dog as you are, can have confidence enough in God to come to him just as you are, it is not in his heart to spurn you. We have a hymn, we're going to sing it today as invitation, just as I am. That's how he bids you come, just as you are. Now also notice that the prodigal's repentance, it wasn't just a thought, it was action. He just, he didn't sit there in that pigsty and just think, I should go back to my father someday. He didn't just feel bad about what he had done, although he probably felt terrible. He got up and made that long journey back. Now, some say that repentance is merely a change of mind. It is a change of mind. That's what the word literally means, metanoia. But not merely a change of mind. It's a change of mind that results in our turning from our sin to God. If changing your mind doesn't result in changing your ways or changing your actions, then it wasn't true repentance. Now, in going back to the father, the, the young man was leaving his friends. He was leaving his loose ways uh, behind. He put a great deal of distance between him and those old temptations. 
So repentance involved the action of leaving his sin and returning to his father. Now this story shows us that no matter how low you may have sunk into sin, there is hope if you will simply turn from your sin to God. Now if you say, no, I'm too far gone, well, you're only making excuses. You're not believing the invitation that God extends to every guilty sinner. If you're living a life of sin, Jesus is saying to you, no matter how awful, defiant, or wretched you may think your sin is, if you'll come to the Father in true repentance, He will welcome you. Well, second, we see the father of the prodigal. Jesus shows us God's abundant mercy towards those who truly repent. Now, this was one of the most moving pictures of God in all of Scripture. It says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him. This wasn't an accidental sighting because he was a long way off. The dad was up on the roof, most likely, looking for his son, for his wayward son, as he probably did many times each week. The instant he saw him in the distance, he did something that no dignified father in that culture would have done. His, his compassion, it moved him to run to him, to embrace him and to kiss him over and over again. Think how the father could have reacted. He could have said, he could have seen this boy in the distance and said, well, it's about time. Here comes that no good son of mine. I'm going to let him crawl up to me on his hands and knees and beg for mercy. Then I'll tell him to go clean up and, and make himself presentable before he sets foot in my house again. I'm going to put restrictions on him and he's going to, uh, and I'm going to lay down the rules. He's going to have to toe the line from now on. Does that sound familiar? Either having, happen, having it happen to you or maybe you've done it to your children? Well, even though the boy must have smelled like a pigsty, Though he only had those tattered clothes on his back, the father ran to his returning son and lavished his affection on him. He didn't even let the son get out the full speech about becoming one of the hired hands. While the boy was in the midst of making his confession, the dad called for the servants and told them to get the best robe. He tore off the tattered clothes of the boy and put on the robe. He put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet just to show that he wasn't a hired hand. He was his son with full privileges of family membership. He told the slaves to kill the fatted calf. Now that was reserved for very special occasions. He hired a band. He invited everyone he knew. There was food, music, and dancing as they celebrated the return of the son who had been dead and was now alive, who had been lost and was now found. Now that's just an incredible picture of the abundant mercy of God that he pours out on repentant sinners. And he doesn't parcel it out just a little bit of time. Here, take this, take this. No, he does it all at once, instantly. The repentant sinner is totally, freely forgiven. How many remember, are old enough, to remember when you first gave your heart to the Lord and He forgave you of your sins? Do you remember that load that just came off of you? He didn't just take a little bit and a little bit. No, he, he wiped you clean. That's what He does when you repent. You don't have to brace yourself for the big lecture about how sorry you've been. There's no finger wagging. There's no I told you so's. There's only grace and mercy and love. 
is poured out on us as we are welcomed into God's presence as His children. He clothes us with the robe of Christ's righteousness. And He gives us the full privileges of sons and daughters, sharing in the best of all that He is. Now, He lets us know that He's not only glad, He's overjoyed when you turn from your sins and come to Him. Now, you think that the story would end there, right, on that happy note. And they all lived, heavily, uh, lived happily ever after. But there's another character who needs, who reveals a necessary lesson for us. And of course, that's third, the older brother. And Jesus shows us the ugliness of self-righteous pride by which we actually exclude ourselves from God's mercy. The older son comes in from the field and he hears the music and the dancing. He doesn't go inside. He, he finds a servant and asks what's going on. And when he finds out that his no-good brother has returned and that his dad has thrown him a big party, he kind of explodes. Now, whenever, whenever, whenever anyone blows up like that, that's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. That is years of pent-up uh, pent anger boiling over. He refuses to go in, and when his dad comes out to appeal to him, he unloads. First, he attacks his dad, and he justifies himself. He says, look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never even given me a kid goat that I might be merry with my friends. That's in reference to the fatted calf. His other, his other brother got that, or his brother. He's bitter. He's accusing his dad of being stingy and unfair. He's saying, just give me what I deserve for all of my work. Well, then he reveals his contempt for his brother. <laughs> he won't even call him my brother. He calls him, mm, that son of yours. He didn't know for sure that the brother had devoured his father's wealth on prostitutes, but he assumed the worst. He's probably right. He despised his brother. He resented the fact that while his brother went off to party, he had to stay around there and then do all of the work. Well, in spite of the older brother's attack, the father responds with love and gentleness towards this son also. And he tenderly calls him, my child. Now, your translation will say son. I'm not sure why. The Greek is very clear. It's my child. That's a little more tender than son. My child. And he reminds him that he's always been with him and that everything that the father has was his he explains why they had to be merry and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and he's been found. Now, the father's love extended to both sons and he didn't want either of them alienated from him or from each other. Now, this part of the parable shows us that the sins of self-righteousness and pride, they can be just as fatal as the sins of the flesh. Jesus is holding the older brother up as a mirror to the Pharisees. They prided themselves in their observance of the law. They looked with contempt on others who weren't outwardly as good as they were. But as Jesus so poignantly shows, they're not keeping either of the greatest commandments, are they? They weren't loving the Father and serving Him out of joy. Neither were they loving others as they loved themselves. If they had been doing so they would have rejoiced to see sinners coming to Jesus. Now there's really some supreme irony here in this part of the story. The brother who was outside 
He comes home and he's welcome inside to a feast. The brother who had never strayed, the good boy, but is probably hungry after working all day, he remains outside, sulking and mad. Everything that he needed was inside the house. But his anger and his self-righteous pride kept him from the bounty and the joy of the Father's table. So here we see that the first has become last, and the last first. And Jesus kind of leaves the story hanging with the older brother outside. We don't know whether he came, ever came in and joined uh, the party, in spite of the Father's gracious and, and gentle appeal. Jesus leaves the story there to make us consider our own response. If we're like that older brother, if we pride ourselves in being good, church-going people, if we see ourselves as better than prostitutes, drug dealers, and thieves, and other obvious sinners, then we need to judge our self-righteous pride. If not for the grace of God, that could be you. Now, we'd be greatly wrong to go out and join in the sins of the prodigal just so that grace may abound. Paul addresses that thoroughly in Romans chapter 6. But we'd also be greatly wrong to get angry at God for His grace towards such sinners and to demand that He gives us what we deserve. Folks, never ask God to give you what you deserve. I hope you understand. We're all sinners desperately in need of God's mercy, not justice. You really don't want anything to do with God's justice. But don't begrudge His mercy to others. Just be glad that He's a God of mercy, great mercy, even towards those, the proud, if they will simply repent. Now, if you, like the prodigal, have rebelled against God and have come to see your wretched condition, your response should be like His. Get up, leave your sin, go to the Father, and simply appeal for His mercy. You'll find it in abundance. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that You are a merciful God. Uh, mercy is simply not getting what we deserve. And in Your grace, You also give us good things that we do not deserve. Lord, our sins are forgiven. We are given the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand in Your presence. Father, it is absolutely magnificent what is ours uh, through Your design. And so this morning, we come just to say that we love You, to thank You for all that goodness. And Father, if there's anybody out there that is a prodigal, they've been running from You. God, they've been trying the things of the world and they're finding them unsatisfactory, unfulfilling, uh, no meaning. I pray that you would just take the scales off of their eyes and help them to see Jesus for who He really is, the one that bids them welcome because of your great mercy. The price has been paid at the, at the cross. We thank you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This was several years ago. I, I don't... Uh, I got a text from Molly. Y'all know Molly. Molly's going to be here tonight. She's going to be at, uh, her and John are going to be in Paris. We'll be at uh, Mary Jean's later uh, this evening. So hope to be able to catch up with them a little bit. Um, just just a general knowledge, they're, they're doing good. They're at about 75% on their monthly and on their, uh, what's it called? Startup, startup fees. And they're, they're looking to go to Malawi in uh, March. Well, anyway... 
I got it. This was several years ago. You'll, you'll know the time frame when I say it. I got a text from Molly that said, uh, Alex has accepted the Lord. He's gotten saved and he wants to talk to you. I said, all right. If you know Alex, you know where I'm coming from. Alex was a prodigal, was he not? The boy was in trouble. He was headed down a dark path. Uh, and Molly will tell you, Molly and John, they're not, they're not shy about this. I'm not saying anything that they wouldn't say if they were standing right here. But when he came in and talked to me, he had a quietness about him, a reverence, and he just told me his story. He was actually taking guitar lessons from Bethany. It was a twofold thing. He wanted to learn the guitar and he liked Bethany. And one day he was at their house and he just started playing and he started playing um, Mighty to Save. Well, he sings too, so he started singing it. And in singing those words, God slayed him and broke him right there on the spot. And that's when he turned from his former life and turn to God. And when he came and explained his, so his story to me, I said, I said, Alex, that's, you're the prodigal son. You've tried all this other crud. It hasn't worked. It hasn't brought you, it's brought you nothing but trouble. God opened your eyes to see the truth and you turned to the Father and He has forgiven your sins. And he was just bawling. But that's what I thought of as soon as he told me a story. That is the prodigal son. Is that you? Some of you were prodigals and have come to the Lord. Thank goodness. As I said, there may be some prodigals still out there this morning. Maybe you're the worst kind of prodigal. You're not a bad person. You haven't done anything stupid. You haven't done anything illegal. Maybe you're more like the older brother. You've depended on yourself. That's, what the old, that's what's wrong with the older brother. He, look what he tells the father. I've done everything you've told me. I've kept all the rules. I've checked off the checklist. And the father says, no, 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 no. That's not what it's about. Maybe you need God's mercy this morning. A couple chapters, we're going to look at the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee, he's like, mm, I'm glad I'm not like these other people, <laughs> like this publican. Good grief. I fast twice a week. I pay a tenth of all that I have. He's just so proud of himself. And next to him is the publican who is so ashamed of who he is, of the reality of who he is, that he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He sits there, he beats his breast, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man, I tell you, went home justified. That man went home right with God. Do you need to get right with God today? The only prayer I would ever encourage you to pray is, God, have mercy on me. You do that in true repentance, and oh my goodness, He will change your life. He will forgive your sin. You won't be the prodigal anymore. I encourage you to do that today. If you're a believer, we tend to suffer, we tend to suffer from the older brothers. Uh, you know, we're saved, we're walking with God, we're doing great, and we look down on people that aren't. Mm. that's not good what are we to have towards them we're to have some sympathy some empathy because we were once in their shoes God has rescued us by his mercy they need his mercy Jesus says go after them go after those who need the mercy of God point them to Jesus 
I hope you're doing that with your life. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, CrawfordvilleFBC.com.